I'm going to talk about Islam. The reason why I'm uh, normally, you know, I teach courses in world religions at uh, both on the high school and the college and seminary level, and uh, so it's usually just, you know, in, in the school setting that I teach about Islam, give a few lectures here and there. But obviously, after uh, September 11th, everything has changed in that area, and that. Uh, we have a, a great need, all Christians, to understand more fully the Islamic faith, what it's about. There's a lot of things that are being said by both preachers and politicians about Muslims, and some of it is accurate and some of it is not accurate. Okay, So we want to try to take uh, a closer look today at the Islamic faith. And so if you start where it just says Islam at the top of the page there, and I'd like to apologize. For some reason, uh, a letter or two got cut off on one side of the page on, on some of the copies there. Um, but the founder of the Islamic faith was Muhammad, obviously, around 600 A.D. Islam uh, is the world's fastest-growing religion today. Okay, and, and the amazing thing is, in after September 11, um, it's actually growing at a faster pace in America after September 11th than it was before. And somehow, some way, the media has used September 11th um, to start Christian bashing uh, and to remind everybody that Islam is a religion of tolerance and a religion of peace. And it's like, what is wrong with this picture? And so when the President of the United States goes out, and, and, and if I, I guess if I were President, I'd probably say the same thing that he's saying, because he's not teaching a course in world religions. He's just trying to keep everybody from World War III. So the President of the United States is talking about how peaceful and tolerant the Quran is and the Muslim faith is. The only problem with that is that's not true. And, and though I don't fault him for saying that, if he needs to say that, you know, fine. Because sometimes political leaders need to say, yeah, we're not going to bomb Iraq while we're bombing Iraq. You know, that's just uh, part of politics. Uh, but when Jerry Falwell gets slammed or Franklin Graham for saying the Islamic faith and the Quran is, is, uh, pro uh, encourages violence, um, all they're saying is what the Quran is talking about. But we'll, we'll get to that. We'll talk about that. But uh, Muslims today make up about 20% of the world's population. Now, Christians make up a little over 30%. We're the biggest religion on the planet. Although of that 30%, how many do you think we're really going to see in, in, uh, in heaven? I mean, when they take polls like this, it's like, are you a Christian? Yes, I'm a Christian. And then they jot down, okay, that's another Christian. And then the guy goes and, and does his transcendental meditation. So, um, but whatever the case, Islam means submission. And a Muslim means one who submits, and obviously they're implying submitting to Allah, submitting to God. The Quran is the Muslim holy book, and uh, we see the Islamic faith in the news a lot today because the Islamic faith and nationalism have led many Arabs to despise Israel. Many Arabs want the Holy Land, they want Jerusalem, and they have the Dome of the Rock, They're one of the holiest... Muslim sites on the planet is right there in Jerusalem, and so they would love to control the Dome of the Rock. Of course, Orthodox Jews would love to rebuild the Temple, and so that causes a certain amount of tension as well. 
By the way, you could add to this that the Islamic nationalism, you know, the Quran teaches that the Islamic people are, you know, the holy people of God, and there's with it that idea that they're going to, going to excel and far exceed anything that the infidels, any non, non-Muslims do. So uh, there is an awful lot of jealousy of the West, okay, and especially America. They don't like the prosperity of America. They also don't like that uh, we're so advanced in our technology, whereas uh, uh, many Middle Eastern Muslims, uh, and especially Middle Middle Eastern Muslim leaders, believe that... um, um, that we should stick with the type of dress and pretty much the, the primitive lifestyle of that of what the, the Prophet Muhammad um, lived with. So, so basically they don't like the idea that we have all this commercialism and things of that sort going on here. So they don't like us, but public enemy number one is Israel as far as they're concerned. Um, three types of Muslims. There are the Sunnis. They are the followers of the prophet's ways. Uh, they're, they're basically, they make up uh, most of the Muslims, okay? And uh, then there's the Shiite Muslims, uh, like in Iran, the, where the Ayatollah is supposed to speak for God and you can call a jihad, a holy war. Um, so basically the Sunnis believe that there was not a successor of Muhammad and therefore, you just have to go back to the Quran. That's where the authority is. The Shiite Muslims believe that their Ayatollah is the new prophet, the new spokesman. For uh, he speaks pretty much like for Roman Catholicism, where the Pope, when he speaks ex cathedra, speaks for the whole church. He speaks infallibly. That's the way the uh, Iranians view the the Ayatollah, the Iranian Muslims. That is. Um, and it's interesting, though, that it's not just the Ayatollah that can call a jihad. Jihad is any striving, um, of any Muslim striving to overcome the infidels and um, basically to further the cause of Islam, okay? And there are an awful lot of Muslim leaders today, Middle Eastern Muslim leaders, um, who are calling, who are basically saying that jihad just means, um, it's kind of like the sanctification process in Christianity, where God's changing us from within. So jihad is a war within, and you're at war with the flesh, trying to bring this, the flesh into submission to God. Yes, many Muslim Islamic clerics teach that, but it's for one of two reasons. Either number one, Uh, They're not really traditional Muslims anymore. They're kind of liberalizing their faith and they're spiritualizing it because Muhammad talks about some, you know, some very clear passages in the Quran, which, by the way, I forgot my Quran today, so I can't read any quotes for you. You can pick one up at Barnes & Noble. Um, But whatever the case, um, um, some Muslim clerics say that the... uh, a jihad is just the inner struggle they were going through, and some of them really mean that because they really don't believe what the Quran teaches. Okay, so they're kind of like it's like a liberal Christian who waters down the Christian faith. Some Muslim clerics are watering down the Islamic faith. Um, but um, 
some Muslim clerics that, that say that the jihad is just this internal struggle are just hiding the fact, you know, they're, they're, they're basically trying to pull the wool over our eyes so we don't see what they're really about because they are backing some of the type of uh, terrorism, uh, terrorist acts that are, that are going on. Um, uh, but whatever the case, it's not just the Shiite Muslims that deal with jihad, also with the Sunnis. There are some back to the Quran movements. You know, we throughout history there's always been a back to the Bible movement, like the Reformation, or like dispensationalism in the uh, 1830s to the early 1900s, uh, the Bible Institute movement uh, in America. A lot of back to the Bible movements. Well, whenever there's a back to the Quran movement, okay, um, there's going to be a lot of people slaughtered. Because when you go back to the literal interpretation of the Quran. Okay, uh, Muhammad says real clearly how to deal. He tells you how to deal with the infidels, and um, basically you slaughter the infidels. But Allah is merciful, so if they agree to pay alms to the Islamic faith, or if they agree to convert to the Islamic faith, then you spare them because Allah is merciful. So basically, what it amounts to is, if they surrender and become your slaves or convert to Islam, then you don't have to kill them, okay? Now, earlier in the Quran, Muhammad says that you should just try to persuade the Jews and the Christians. Don't use force against them. Later on in the Quran, he starts saying over and over again, like Surah 9-5, their chapters are called Surahs, S-U-R-A-H, um, but he starts saying over and over again that basically you get out there and you slaughter the infidel. Okay. Um, uh, well, Muhammad had a teaching when people started pointing out the contradictions in his writings. He said, "Well, God, Allah changes His mind sometimes, and so whatever the later revelation is, that's what we stick to." Well, it was early in Muhammad's quote-unquote ministry that um, he was saying, "You just need to talk to them and try to persuade them." But as time went on, he lost his patience, and he said, look, we've got enough people now, we've got enough swords. Uh, if they butt heads with us, if they disagree with us, you go over there and just, you know, break out the sword. Um, uh, it just amazes me. It amazes me that right now in America, our media is telling us that Christianity is a religion of violence and intolerance, but that Islam is a religion of peace and tolerance. And it's exactly the other way. I mean, look at the first 250 years of Christianity. In fact, the first 280 years of Christianity. You could sum it up in one word. Persecution. Christians were slaughtered, were persecuted. Until Christianity began to merge with the Roman Empire, Okay, and and believe people act like it was the well. Look at all the bad things the church did. No, when Christianity merged with the Roman Empire, okay, the Roman Empire started killing less people than it had before, and quote unquote Christianity or Christendom started getting into the killing game. Uh, in other words, the Christian Church didn't influence the Roman Empire for the bad, for the worse. The Roman Empire influenced Christianity for the worse. Um, 
But whatever the case, um, first 280 years of Christianity, you can sum it up in one word, persecution. First few hundred years of the Islamic faith, you can sum it up in one word, and that's conquest. Uh, Muhammad started it. He wanted to unify all the Arab tribes by force under the banner of Islam. He broke out the sword, went out there and did it, and his followers followed in his footsteps after he passed on to the point where these guys had conquered large portions of Europe uh, and Africa and the Middle East uh, within a couple hundred years after Muhammad's um, death. And it wasn't through preaching the word. It was through yielding the sword. And, uh, and granted, I am not going to slam President Bush because the last thing he, last thing he wants to do is, is tick off a lot of law-abiding Muslim citizens. By the way, most Muslims are peaceful people. Okay? But that's not the same thing as saying that the Quran and a Muslim who strictly adheres to the Quran is a peaceful person because that's not the case. Okay? Most Muslims are peaceful people despite what the Quran teaches and what Muhammad practiced. Okay? It's, it's a fortunate inconsistency for all of us. Okay? Now, I don't know if these statistics, how accurate they are, but Hal Lindsey, who's, who's been a student of the uh, Middle Eastern affairs for, uh, what, since the 60s, so over 40 years now, um, he says that a Middle Eastern Muslim who moves to America, about 15% of them back terrorist acts, Islamic terrorist acts. But Middle Eastern Muslims who still live in the Middle East, okay, because they have a whole different view of religious freedom. Religious freedom over there is that a Muslim is free to proclaim and practice the Islamic faith, but no one else is free to try to convert him or to share Christianity or to badmouth Muhammad. That's why many Middle Eastern Muslims, when they come over here, they have a hard time accepting our concept of religious freedom, which gives us, you know, they want the freedom to slam Jesus, but they don't want us to have the freedom to be able to disagree with Muhammad and to say that we think Muhammad is a false prophet. But whatever the case, um, Hal Lindsey says that the percentage of Middle Eastern Muslims who back terrorist acts who still live in the Middle East is as high as 40%, 4 out of 10. Now, he's not saying that 4 out of 10 are terrorists, but he's saying 4 out of 10 will applaud, you know, what happened on September 11th. That's a very high percentage there. That's an extremely high percentage, especially since you look at our media. If one guy claims to be a Christian, some flake, doesn't even go to church, just claims to be a Christian, probably doesn't read the Bible, but just claims to be a Christian, irrelevant that the guy's having all psychological problems and all, one guy claims to be a Christian blows up an abortion clinic and CNN is acting like this is proof that fundamentalist Christians, Christians who believe that the Bible is the word of God, that we're all a bunch of terrorists. It's just that we haven't uh, really displayed, you know, haven't acted out on our beliefs as, as consistently as this other guy. But then on the other side of the coin, 40% of Middle Eastern Muslims can back terrorist acts I mean, they showed that through the streets of uh, Pakistan where they were all cheering after September 11th. And it's like, my, my thought, I'm from New Jersey, my thought was just take those people 
give them a free plane ride to Manhattan. And let's see how quiet that protest gets. Because I, you know, guys from New Jersey, we used to go to New York, and we knew what the guys from New York were about. They knew what we were about, but that kind of protest ain't going to happen in Manhattan. It might happen somewhere else in the globe, but you kill innocent people. Um, you know, and we Americans don't take to that. But whatever the case, the question is, though, is it consistent with the teachings of Islam and the teachings of the Quran? And it is. It is. Muhammad basically believed that um, the Islamic faith, as, as, they, as, as Muslims submit to Islam, they have to bring the entire world. That's what jihad is all about. Bring the entire world into submission to Allah. And you give people a choice. But if they choose against Allah, then you break out the sword. But you conquer in the name of Allah. Um, but with the Sunni Muslims, there was a branch, I believe they started out of Saudi Arabia, um, called the Wahhabis. And it was a back to the Quran movement. And out of that came uh, Al Qaeda, Al Qaeda, and uh, Usama bin Laden, and uh, people of that sort. Then there, there was the Af uh, Soviet Union invaded Afghanistan, and that's where we, the West, we, you know, we Americans, the American government began to back the Afghans to try to help keep them free from the Soviets. But you know, they had all these warlords, but now they were getting. 20th century military hardware, and after they booted the um, the Soviet Union out of their backyard, then they started, you know, getting back into their uh, Islamic rhetoric against the West, and now they use some of that hardware against us. And um, and so basically, what I'm getting at is both the Sunni Muslims and the Shiite Muslims. And both branches have uh, terrorist uh, um, have uh, terrorist aspects to them. Um, let me say this too: that there there is some good evidence that um, globalists, people who want big government, one world government, um, states like uh, uh, the old Soviet Union, even now Russia, you could probably implicate them very easily to uh, to the financing of some of these terrorist hits. China, uh, there are, there are people who have nothing, uh, governments that have nothing to do with the Islamic faith, that either they want a one-world government or want to take over the world, want big government, uh, that are financing a lot of these terrorist hits, so that it's, we can question. I you know. Yasser Arafat, as far as I know, he might not even be a serious Muslim at all. I don't. I doubt if uh, Saddam Hussein is a serious Muslim at all. Okay. Now Osama bin Laden, I'm not really sure. As far as he could be just a real literalist with the Quran, and and he would be acting consistently with that. But I don't know for sure. Um, but uh, it's it's not uncommon to find some of these Islamic clerics, Islamic leaders. Um, that are more red, more communist than they are um, uh, Islamic. But whatever the case, I will, I will say this much, you're not going to get an atheist to go on a suicide mission. If all the guy believes is, is that there's this life here and now and nothing in the hereafter, guy's not going to die for his cause. 
And so just as the, uh, the Japanese, the kamikaze pilots of World War II, Shintoism was their belief system that thought they thought they were guaranteeing a better hereafter. Um, with the, with the uh, Nazi Germany, there was a, an occultic belief system there as well. And, um, and, and, and so too with the Islamic faith. And so when you see these suicide bombers, these guys um, really believe the promise of the Quran that if they die in jihad, if they die fighting the infidel for the, for the name of Allah, uh, they will be ushered in immediately um, into heaven, which for them is going to be um, um, uh, an eternal drunken orgy where they're going to have virgins, have sex with virgins, throughout uh, e eternity and, and <clears throat> the interesting thing there too is that these virgins are created for that purpose they aren't ladies who died and went to heaven because Muhammad said throughout the Quran that very few ladies get to heaven uh, the Quran is one of the most chauvinistic books and that's why you see ladies with their faces completely covered no freedom whatsoever in Middle Eastern countries and in a day when women's rights is everything um, all of a sudden, the Islamic faith is, is tolerant, but the Christian faith is chauvinistic. It's like, what what is wrong with this picture here? And um, um, but whatever the case, there's also the the Sufi Muslims. They're Islamic mystics. It's kind of a blending of the Islamic faith and Hindu teachings. But we, we really don't have time to to uh, to uh, uh, get into that. Okay, with the Muslims, <clears throat> let's go over their history. Um, uh, Muhammad founded the Islamic faith. He was born in uh, 570 A.D. in uh, Mecca, Arabia. I'm trying to pull out my cork drops and I got, uh, got toothpaste. So. Um, you come to the WANA conferences, you got to come prepared. So, so. Um, but he was born in Mecca, Arabia. His father died before he was born. His mother died when he was seven. Uh, he suffered from fits during his youth. Um, he wasn't sure. At first he thought maybe he was demon-possessed. And later on he, he felt, no, I'm not demon-possessed and all, but I think good chance he was right the first time. Um, he hated polytheism and the superstitions of Mecca. So this guy is saying, hey, it's wrong to worship many gods. There is only one God. Now that's a good thing, okay? But what's bad about it is this. Supposing I walked up to you, say I owed you five bucks, and I walked up to you and gave you a Monopoly five dollar bill. You're going you're gonna to take it and you go, hey, Fernandez, Give me something real here, you know? Monopoly $5 bill isn't going to work because it doesn't look like the original. But if I give a counterfeit $5 bill that really looks real and feels real, I might get away with it. And that's one of the main dangers of the Islamic faith is that, yes, it moved away from polytheism, but it didn't turn people to worship of the one true God of the Bible. It invented an alternative false god that looks so much like the real thing that has probably led way, you know, it's, it has. It's led millions and upon millions of people astray that would have probably never been led astray by polytheism. Um, now, he studied Judaism and Christianity. 
probably through word of mouth. The evidence seems to indicate that Muhammad was, was barely literate, okay? Um, but Mecca was a major trade route, trade route, so you had people coming through and they would talk religion. And so he heard things from word of mouth. I mean, when you find out some of the contradictions in the Quran, some of the uh, inaccuracies there, you'll see what I'm talking about. This guy never read the book, okay? He never read the Bible. It is evident. I mean, <clears throat> there's no way you could think, if, you re if, if Muhammad really read the Bible, how in the world could he think that Moses' sister Miriam was the mother of Jesus? Okay? Um, how could he think that the, that the Jews believed that Ezra was the son of God? Okay? How could he believe that the doctrine of the Trinity um, is the Father, Mary, and the Holy Spirit? Okay? This guy's getting stuff from word of mouth, okay? And maybe some of the professing Christians that were telling him about the Bible and stuff, maybe they had too much to drink or they were heretical or whatever, but he was getting some really bogus stuff. A lot of the information in the Quran comes not from the Bible, but actually comes from some of the pseudepigraphal writings, some of the false writings, with fairy tale Gnostics. Gnostics were heretics, second century heretics, that pretended they were people like the, God, the Apostle Peter and the Apostle Thomas and wrote bogus books and tried to fool people into thinking that Peter really wrote it, Thomas really wrote it. And they had some bogus stories. Jesus throws a tantrum when he's a little kid and um, wipes out a town. All these you know, kids were making fun of him, so he wipes them out miraculously. Um, <laughs> he turns clay pigeons into real ones. Well, you got stories like that in the Quran. Muhammad thought this was you know, some of the stuff Jesus really did. So there was some real confusion uh, on his part there. Uh, but he became a monotheist and believed in the existence of one God called him Allah. Now, Allah was the moon god, okay? I, I don't push this point too far. Some Christian scholars try to claim, well, see, they were just worshiping this false moon god. No, the way Muhammad ex ex explains or describes Allah is the one true creator god. It seems to me what he did was he looked upon, let's say you're all different Middle Eastern false gods, okay? And you happen to be Allah, the moon god. He just said, hey, i got to call the one true god something. i got to use the title that the people can relate to. So I'll use the, the, the name of the moon god. And even if the people use the moon as a, a symbol and that type of thing, they'll know I'm talking about the one true god who created everything. I mean, the early Christians had to do that. Theos was the, the generic name for God. There were many gods, and the, and the Greek word was theos. We call the true God theos, okay? Now, the Greeks also called the many gods, and they were, they were visiting them in vehicles from outer space. So the UFO movement is not new. But the ancient Greeks, when they were being visited by these super beings, called them the di daimonion. And that's where we got our word uh, demons from because we said no what the Greeks call the gods we know are uh, fallen angels are demons okay so but Christian missionaries have to do that we go into a culture and we've got to find a word in that culture and use it for God and I think that's all Muhammad was doing so I, I disagree with those Christian scholars who say that Muhammad was worshipping the moon at, at worst Muhammad may have used the moon as a symbol of God 
Um, but uh, but I think it's clear he believes in one Creator God. Okay. But when you look at this God and his teachings about this God, he is not the God of the Bible. Okay. Um, okay. Um, he had his first vision at the age of 40 and uh, re then received uh, several visions and recording them in the Quran. Um, at first he thought he was demon-possessed but changed his mind. I talked about that earlier in my perspective on that. Um, then God told him in a vision that he was God's apostle. Um, he was rejected. His message was rejected at Mecca, so he fled to Medina. That's called the flight, uh, the Hijira. And he returned to Mecca and conquered it. That, I mean, that was his way of doing things. Okay? You know, they booted him out. He waited till his message was popular enough, and then he got his band of thugs, and they went back and uh, conquered it by force. Um, Muhammad's goal was to unify the Arab tribes under Allah's rule and, you know, basically to do it the same way he did it did with, uh, in Mecca, and that was through conquest. Now, he died in 632 A.D. without picking his successor, and so then divisions arose. One group said, yeah, you know, we're going to have a guy that's going to stand in the line of him and so Muhammad becomes like the first of many popes, that type of thing, okay? Um, and so you have the Ayatollah and the uh, Shiite Muslims. Others would say, no, we just have to go back to the prophet's teachings in the Quran. That's the authority. We don't need somebody to stand in his place. Uh, the five articles of faith are uh, vitally important to Muslims. Number one, there is only one God and his name is Allah. Uh, by the way, I, um, well, we'll get to that later. The existence of angels and jinn. Jinn are lower than angels, but they're above humans. And that's where we get the, you know, the genies. That's where that's all about. Okay. Um, inspired books. God wrote the, the Torah of Moses, the five books of Moses, the Psalms of David, the Gospel of Christ, which would be the four Gospels, the Quran, which is... God's final and most authoritative word to man. The, you will hear Muslims borrow from the Jehovah's Witnesses and from the Mormons and from atheists when they start saying, well, oh, yeah, well, who, who knows if that particular passage, you know, they'll use a, first they'll try a Jehovah's Witness interpretation to deny that the Bible teaches that Jesus is God. Uh, but then they, they'll also sometimes say, well, who knows if that was translated correctly or copied correctly and this and that, blah, blah, blah. And then in the end, whatever it says, whatever the Bible says, the Quran is a later revelation. God could have changed his mind. So the Quran is the final and most authoritative word of God to man. Uh, the six greatest prophets are Adam, Noah, Abraham, Moses, uh, Jesus, and Muhammad, but Muhammad is the greatest. He is the comforter of John 14, 15, and 16. It's real easy to refute that. When you read about the comforter of John 14, um, Jesus says that when he comes, he, he calls him the Holy Spirit. He says, well, when he comes, okay, he won't speak of his own. He'll testify of me. Now, Muhammad, instead of bringing glory to Jesus, downgrades Jesus and calls himself the greatest prophet. Now, automatically, he cannot be the comforter of John chapters 14, 15, and 16. 
Um, okay, in, in fact, I, I say it's a lot of the one if I was, you know our, our hyper-Pentecostal friends where a lot of weird stuff's going on in their churches and they'll talk to a lot of people and say, you guys need to be more like us. How come your church, I went to your Baptist church and it's not a spirit-filled church. Hey, the Comforter, the Holy Spirit, okay, he's not going to testify of himself, put the spotlight on himself, he puts the spotlight on Jesus. Every church that exalts the name of Jesus is by definition a spirit-filled church. If the Holy Spirit is at work in your church, it doesn't have to look flamboyant, but it's got to be Christ-centered with a big focus on Jesus. Some of our hyper-Pentecostal brethren, sometimes you don't even hear Jesus' name mentioned. There's so much of a focus on the Holy Spirit that after a while the Holy Spirit starts to look more like a, a, a New Age force or impersonal being rather than the uh, God, the third person of the Trinity. Um, but whatever the case, Muhammad is obviously not uh, the uh, comforter there. Uh, number five in the Articles of Faith, that in the last days there would be a resurrection and a judgment. Heaven for those who obey Allah and Muhammad. Uh, again, the paradise of drinking and promiscuity, especially for those who die during jihad. And then hell, a place of torment for those who oppose Allah and Muhammad. Besides the five Articles of Faith, there's five pillars of faith that serious Muslims adhere to. In order to become a, a Muslim, all you have to do is this. You don't have to sign up anywhere. You just have to recite this creed in public. There is no God but Allah, and Muhammad is, is his prophet. Obviously, I, I just recited it. That doesn't make me a Muslim. But, but if you say that because you're affirming your belief, this is what Muhammad Ali did in a press conference after whooping on Sonny Liston, and what Mike Tyson did after a press conference whooping on somebody, uh, no, in fact, Mike Tyson was right in the ring when he said it, okay? And they said, they said it in Arabic. And uh, um, so there's no God but Allah, Muhammad is his prophet. Number two, they pray five times a day uh, facing Mecca. These are uh, prescribed prayers that they just recite them, okay? Um, almsgiving, they have to give one fortieth of, of their income has to be donated to charity. Um, so if you tithe, you can save a lot of money by becoming a Muslim. No. Um, number four, fasting. Uh, they fast from sunrise to sunset during the holy month of Ramadan. We heard a lot about that when, you know, is, you know, President Bush, are you going to, uh, you know, lambast the caves of um, Afghanistan during the month of Ramadan? You know, it's kind of... It's, it, We've got to stop fighting politically correct wars. It's like, let's fight a war and do it in such a way that we don't upset uh, other Muslim nations. And President Bush talking about Saudi Arabia being our allies. Hey, most of the pilots uh, were from Saudi Arabia and the hijacking. Um, Government-run television raises money for the Palestinians from the suicide bombings in, uh, in Jerusalem. I mean, it's like... Um, you know, with friends like that, who needs enemies? And um, so I, you know, let, let's not be politically correct. And if we're at war with somebody, we're at war with somebody. Um, Ramadan or, or whatever. Um, okay, at number five. Then once in a lifetime, they have to make a pilgrimage and go to Mecca, go to the the mosque there. Uh, Muhammad Ali made that. Uh, um, Malcolm X made that. Although, although. Keep, keep the black Muslim movement distinct 
from the Middle Eastern Muslim movement because the Middle Eastern Muslim movement as considered the black Muslim movement founded pretty much by Elijah Muhammad as a heretical offshoot from its inception, okay? Only as of late, uh, Wallace Dean Muhammad, the son of Elijah Muhammad, as he began to move his branch of the black Muslim movement back towards traditional Islam, okay? Um, but they are two different things. Uh, in the next page, Islam's rejection of Christianity, they deny the Trinity because they believe that God is only one person. They deny that Jesus is God. They don't believe he died on the cross. Uh, so he didn't die on the cross for our sins, according to them. He didn't rise from the dead. He's not the Savior. They do acknowledge that Jesus was a sinless prophet, but they don't believe he was as great as Muhammad, who, by the way, the Quran acknowledges that Muhammad sinned and needed to ask God for forgiveness. Um, they believe that man is sinful in act, but not in nature, so man doesn't need to be born again. You just kind of got to kind of obey the um, teachings of Muhammad and Allah and do more good than, than evil and, and you'll get to, to paradise. Um, now, let's just skip the, the Christian response because we'll move to that a little bit later. Um, we'll move to the Christian re response on the top of the page, to the right of what we just looked at. Uh, first thing that we can do is is point out the contradictions in the Quran where the Quran contradicts itself and then secondly where the Quran contradicts the Bible okay um, and then after that we can move into historical evidence for Christianity like what I did in my last lecture today providing historical evidence for Christ's resurrection and for Christ's deity um, but some of the contradictions or errors in the Quran um, they, they teach that Jesus was not crucified and that he ascended without dying in Surah 4. But in Surah 19, they quote Jesus as predicting his death and resurrection. So this has been a problem for them. You know, Mom was just... You know, the Quran was written over a long period of time. Sometimes he wrote it on scrap paper, a piece of bark, or whatever. It was all collected after his death. So his views may have changed with time as well. No one knows, you know, it just it's all over the place. Um, but some Muslims will now say, well, yes, Jesus is going to return, and then he's going to be killed and rise from the dead to try to reconcile these two, okay? Um, but that's just an example of some of the contradictions. Of course, they, they, they teach that Jesus is not God in Surah 4, Surah 5. Um, they teach that polygamy is okay in... Uh, uh, obviously because Muhammad was polygamous, so um, uh, that's in uh, Surah 33. Uh, it's, it, I put down it's okay to beat your wife. It's one of the teachings of Surah 434. Actually, it's actually encouraged. They actually say, you know, it's, 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 it's a good thing to do periodically to keep the missus in line, to beat her up is what the Quran teaches. And in this day of woman, woman's living, woman, woman's rights, uh, Traditional Islam is, 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 is not getting slammed for that. I mean, you know, people, the media slams Jerry Falwell um, and acts like he's a male chauvinist pig when Jerry Falwell's only had three years of Bible college. His doctorate degrees are honorary. He only got three years of Bible college. 
his wife, and he brags about this fact. His wife had last I heard she's got like about six years of of college, you know, four year degree, and then uh, like a two years master's above that. For all I know, she's working on her PhD degree. He brags about the fact that his wife's got more education than him. It doesn't intimidate him. I'm a I'm an outspoken traditional Christian, so I'm supposed to be a chauvinist. But I voted for a lady for governor uh, when uh, old Governor Locke was running against uh, Ellen Craswell. I'm supposed to be afraid of a powerful woman. I wanted a woman, Ellen Craswell, a Christian woman, in, in the office here in Washington State as governor. So, you know, what's, what is wrong with this picture? That we Christians have to apologize because the Bible says the husband's the head of the household. We have to apologize, but in the meantime, Islam is so tolerant, and and the, the Quran says, you know, encourages the, the husbands to beat up their wives, encourages polygamy. Um, Muhammad also, uh, Surah 33, he married the wife of an adopted son. By the way, besides the Quran, they have the Hadith, which contains some other teachings from Muhammad based on very high authorities, such as his his uh, colleagues and stuff. And that's held, really, to be honest with you, the, the Quran is number one, the Hadith is number two, and then comes the scriptures, okay? Um, and uh, when, you, when you take in the Hadith plus authoritative Islamic scholars recording the history of the Islamic movement, we, we find out some, some things that they do not deny. Like Muhammad, I, I believe she was nine years old when um, he married one girl and supposedly didn't have relations with her until she was 11 or whatever. Um, but um, his adopted son had a wife. He forced him to a, divorce her, and then Muhammad married her. And um, so this guy, I mean, it's... There was a, Muhammad had some real problems here, okay? This is not, this is not your, uh, your common uh, founder of a religion, okay? Um, Again, to the sex and wine drinking in heaven is Surah 4, Surah 47. Um, he, he calls for, in Surah 2, uh, 256, he calls for religious tolerance. But then he calls for jihad and slaughtering the infidel in Surah 9.5, which, by the way, you can follow that theme throughout the uh, Quran. So he mentions it a lot of times. Of course, the way... Uh, Muhammad reconciled that was that God changes his mind the later revelation is what counts well, the later revelation slaughter the infidels um, he believed that uh, Haman this is a good one Haman built the tower of Babel and lived during Moses' day um, you know it's like Haman is from like the book of Esther like I mean we're talking what 500 B.C. um Tower of Babel, I mean, you're going before Abraham, so you're going like, I don't know, 20, 2300 B.C., and then Moses is like 1500 B.C., and then when you, when you add to that that he believed that uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, is Aaron's sister, and uh, then he's got Noah's, one of Noah's sons drowning in the flood, and, uh, uh, and then Jews call Ezra the son of God. See, uh, the guy did not read the Bible. I'm not slamming him for that. I'm just saying he heard about the Bible through word of mouth. So he got this distorted picture and had was totally oblivious to Bible chronology. Had no idea 
you know, he thought the whole Bible was written about contemporaries. That, you know, Adam used to kick back and shoot the breeze with Jesus and stuff. I mean, it's like, well, actually, that's not too far from Because the Lord used to walk in the garden with probably pre-incarnate Christ. But, but, uh, but maybe we said Aaron used to, he thought maybe Aaron would, uh, Adam would shoot the breeze with Moses or something. Um, uh, he also, in, in Surah 2, uh, he says that we need to pray towards Mecca. And well, he says to pray towards Mecca in one passage, but in another passage you pray towards Jerusalem. So, you know, wh which is it? Um, uh, people with dark skin. Now, keep in mind, Middle Eastern people have dark skin. So, if you have darker skin than them, it seems to imply blacks. And then uh, in Surah 3, 102 to 109, they're cursed. Blacks are lost. They can't be saved. Um, Again, the misunderstanding of the Trinity in Surah 5, uh, verse 116, where he talks about the Father, Mary, and the Holy Spirit. Totally confused <laughs> on that. Um, Jesus' childhood miracles, where he, he throws a tantrum, wipes out half the kids in the town. It really, you know, would have destroyed it, would have de destroyed it in a Rwanda program in one swoop. Um, oh, he has the sun setting in the mud. The sun sets in the mud. Yeah. Well, we know enough. To, uh, we know enough about the sun right now to know that the sun would never really set in the mud. But um, that's in Surah 18, and then of course is uh, Surah 6 and Surah 2. God can change his mind, so he goes with the later. I, I think that was a cop out on his part because he was confronted with all his contradictions, so he had to dance around a little bit. So the way we respond, we can respond to Muslims. We show the contradictions in the Quran, where it contradicts itself, where it contradicts the Bible, but then present historical evidence for Christianity, evidence for the reliability and the authenticity of the New Testament. Um, Christ's miracles and sinlessness are already admitted by Muslims in the Quran, so that's given right there. Uh, then you could show, um, you know, that Christ did die. The evidence is, is, I mean, there's so much evidence for Christ's death. No. No New Testament scholar questions Christ's death on the cross. The evidence for Christ's resurrection and his deity, so you can provide historical evidence for the true Jesus of the Bible versus the false Jesus of the Islamic faith. Uh, we also, I think we can show the Christian God is more loving and more just than any other God, including Allah. Romans 5.8, Paul tells us God demonstrates his own love toward us and that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. I mean, what other God what other God loved you so much that he sent his son to die?